Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So Luke 2, 21 to 40. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name of the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and, and, then there was a, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to who all were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you, Drew. Uh, my name is Steve, and if I haven't met you, so, uh, hopefully you can come to the pub or I can get to know you. So who, put your hands up if you find it hard waiting for presents. Any hands? Yeah, a few of you, yeah. And then if we had a room full of children, there's still hands at the back. You can put them down, you know. Uh, So, uh, you know, one of the things about Christmas, isn't it, is you have the Christmas tree and you have all the presents under the tree and then the kids, you know, for days and potentially weeks, depending on how early they go up, sort of can't wait. And then Christmas Eve comes and they want to get up at silly o'clock and we have to set alarms and tell them not to and all that kind of stuff. And then they break them and then, you know, I'm grumpy for the rest of the day. So that's how it works. We cannot wait for the presents. But if you're anything like me, it's not just waiting for presents that you're not good at, you're just not good at waiting. As a society, we're not good at waiting. Who's good at waiting? Um, there's two traits that mark our modern society, well, there's many, but two that are, you know, one is consumerism and the other is instant gratification. Consumerism, I should have what I want. Instant gratification, I should have it now. 
So whether it's clothes or food or drink or sex or cultural experiences or career progression or whatever it is, we almost think we deserve to have these things and we deserve to have them now. No one should stop me having them what I want when I want it. Any prohibitions, any sense of waiting, anyone sort of saying no to us, well, that infringes on our freedom. And to infringe on my freedom is to infringe on who I am as a, a person and my very identity. So that's the storyline of our culture, which means waiting is very hard. And it's even harder to wait when you're waiting in life for something and everyone else seems to be progressing, no one else seems to be waiting. That becomes a really hard tension to live by. And in the waiting, we can feel we're being left behind. That's a horrible feeling, and there's fear and panic and, and jealousy, and we mustn't get left behind. I don't want to wait while other people get, get ahead. And then to make matters worse, our inability to wait and our ability to see that others are progressing has been magnified by the rise of technology and social media. Because what everyone else is doing externally is saying, look how my life's progressing, regardless of whether it is. And inside we're going, but mine isn't. I'm having to wait and look at all the success or look at the marriages or look at the children. or like, why, don't, why don't I have all this? And you know, They've passed exams, they've graduated, whatever it is. And we feel like we're waiting. So 15 years ago, if you were waiting for a bus, you were waiting for a bus, maybe reading a book. And then technology and social media comes on. We're not waiting for a bus. We're buying things on Amazon. We're projecting to the world how good we are. We're, we're commenting to our friends. We're sending emojis. We're, we're doing Snapchats. I think that's what the kids do these days. Um, so instead of waiting, we're distracted. We're connected. We're online. We're busy. We're comparing. We're trying to impress. We're engaged all day, every day. In fact, quiet moments of waiting, no TV, no social media, no internet, no distraction, maybe just silence. Well, in our modern culture, that's very unnerving now. Something must be wrong, because we don't like the waiting. Learning to wait is a great challenge in modern culture. Well, if that's the case, it's great that we get to look at two people in the ancient culture that were very, very good at waiting. Simeon and Anna. They had to wait a long time. Though different in gender, they have a lot in common. Let's look at them and see what we can learn. Simeon, you'll see it there. If you want to take your hand out, you'll see it there on verse 25 onwards. He lived in Jerusalem. He was a Jew. But the Jews were under, and Jerusalem was under Roman rule. So his people and his nation were oppressed. We learn that he's righteous and devout, verse 25. So it means he feared God. He's a good man. Uh, we learn that the Holy Spirit was upon him, verse 25. Most significantly, we learn, verse the end of 25, he was waiting. Do you hear that word? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, consolation is an old-fashioned word, but we all know what it is to console someone. To console someone is to comfort them after some loss or pain or hurt or disappointment. So Simeon is waiting for the consolation, the comfort of Israel itself. Israel is hurting. Israel is in pain. Israel is disappointed. It has been oppressed and trodden on for many years in its long and complicated history. It has suffered greatly at the hands of the Egyptians, at the hands of the Assyrians, at the hands of the Babylonians, and now at the hands of the Romans. Israel is suffering. Simeon is a member of that nation, and he's waiting for Israel to be comforted in their suffering. Suffering is a way of life to him. 
But verse 26, did you see it there? It had been revealed to him that he would not die before seeing the Lord's Messiah or the Lord's Christ. So the same word, Greek and Hebrew, which means anointed one or king. Israel was waiting for their promised king who would comfort them in their suffering, would rescue and deliver them, a king from the line of David. And Simeon somehow knew through the Holy Spirit that he was going to see Israel's king arrive. And when he meets Jesus, as his parents come to present Jesus and offer their sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem, his eyes see this is the promised comforter, the king, the Messiah. The waiting is over. The comfort is here. God is to rescue and to save his people. And so he says in verse 29, I think this is extraordinary. He sees a baby. Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, Lord, I'm ready to die now. I can go quietly. Because what you promised has been fulfilled in the birth of a baby. I know that you're going to bring comfort to your people through this child. Now, we don't know for sure that Simeon was an old man. That's the kind of thing that an old person would say. You know, old people, you know, often wait one more Christmas to see their family and then they pass away, don't they? They just wanted to see one more time and... And this is as if Simeon's saying, now I'm ready. Dismiss your servant. So that's Simeon. Fascinating. What about Anna? Verse 36. Her name means grace. She was a prophetess. She spoke the word of the Lord. That's what a prophet does. Speaks the word of the Lord to the people. She too was in Jerusalem, in the temple. She never missed a service. You know, she's your best of your best. Every day fasting and praying in the temple. Like Simeon, she's very devout. She's from the tribe of Asher. Now, if you know the history of Israel, when they were conquered by the Assyrians, Asher was one of the ten tribes that got lost, taken into captivity and never to return. Benjamin and Judah, they returned. But these ten tribes, and she's part of one of them, Asher, they got lost. So her identity, her heritage is fragile. And and, and maybe she wonders, you know, where she's from, as, as it were. Who am I? She's certainly old. Do you see that? She's 84. And she's been a widow for most of that time. She was married for seven years, and then she's been a, a widow throughout. Typically, women at that stage in, in that part of, uh, of, of, of the world at that time would get married around the age of 13. So she potentially was widowed from the age of 20. And now she's 84, so 64 years living as a widow. Like Simeon, therefore, suffering has marked her life. It's tough enough being a widow from a young age in our culture. In that culture, in a patriarchal culture where men were the ones that provided and protected, it meant lots of vulnerability and insecurity and and uncertainty. And then we read in verse 38, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God, coming up to Mary and Joseph and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward. That's a waiting idea, looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon wanted the consolation, the comfort. She wants the redemption. What's redemption? To redeem something is to buy something back at a cost, of course, but you buy it back to your possession. So she's saying, I want freedom. I want us as a nation to be released from captivity. And Anna says, here is the one that's going to free us and redeem us. But she has in mind much more than a political freedom just from the Romans. But we'll see a freedom from death and sin and judgment. So can you see two people, different genders, but otherwise the same. They're both old. One is male, one is female. 
Both have suffering as a way of life for many years, many hardships. Therefore, they're waiting for the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem. Both meet a baby as Mary and Joseph come to present the baby in the temple in Jerusalem. Both say astonishing things about their life. And that's around the meaning of our world. Here is the one that's going to bring comfort. Here is the one that's going to redeem but it's not just for Israel. Look at what Simeon says in verse 30 to 32. He says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. You see, what they're saying is what this baby is doing is bringing comfort and redemption, not just to Israel, but to everyone. And that's why Luke draws you know, male, female. And it's all around a baby, but there's old people. There's all, all ages, all stages, all genders, all backgrounds. Those that don't have a background from the tribe of Asher that got lost. This is for everyone. Doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, what you've done, what's marked your past, how old, what economics, it doesn't matter. Here is the one that brings comfort and redemption to all people. So what does it mean for us to think about what it is to wait and allow God to be our comforter and redeemer? Let me bring three points. These two people were waiting with unfulfilled desires. Simeon had been told by the Holy Spirit that he was not going to die until he saw the Lord's Christ, but he's waiting and waiting and waiting. And life cannot have been easy for a devout Jew under Roman rule. Unless you collaborate with the Romans, it was basically austerity. It was really tough. Suffering was a way of life. Many unfulfilled desires he must have had as a devout Jew living under Roman rule. But think of Anna. Think of Anna. When you get married, you assume you're going to grow old married. And that's going to be one of the great comforts in your life, is what you assume. Let's imagine, as I've portrayed it, she was married around 13, widowed at 20, 64 years. Imagine all the desires she had when she was married that have never come true for decades and decades and decades, living as a single woman in a first century patriarchal culture and yet and yet do you sense a, even a hint of bitterness a hint of anger a hint of internal collapse no Simeon says dismiss your servant in peace I'm ready to go I'm cheerfully ready to die now he's righteous and devout he'd never given up hope and Simeon uh, and Anna excuse me I mean I just think she's beautiful don't you think she's beautiful in her old age? A wonderful, godly, humble widow from the lost tribe of Asher. What do we know about her? She never left the temple. She was praying and fasting all the time. And she comes to Mary, and I imagine her coming to Mary as Mary holds the baby Jesus, and she's got these beautiful wrinkles on her face. Of, you know, contented wrinkles, not angry wrinkles after many years. And she's got a joy in her heart and she's got a spring in her step. She's got a twinkle in her eye and she says, ah, the redeemer of Israel. She'd waited her whole life with many unfulfilled desires around what she expected marriage to be about and had not grown bitter or cynical. Why? Why were both of them full of joy and contentment and hope and peace? Where are they? Where are they? They're in the presence of God, the temple of Jerusalem. They've come to be with God and to meet with God and to know God. Anna never wanted to leave the presence of God. 
In other words, their joy and hope and contentment did not come from external circumstances, but from a living relationship with the living God. That's what Isaac spoke about. Everything in life kind of fell apart in his dreams and his desires. We didn't even sink things, but you know. And he said, yeah, I had it all. Like the Apostle Paul, I had all these things, and yet they didn't count for anything when I discovered Jesus. Their joy and happiness didn't come from externals, but from internals. You know, is that very famous quote by Jim Carrey. He says this, I, hope, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. In other words, it's not just those that have a life full of suffering and hardship like Simeon and Anna who have these unfulfilled desires. It's all of us. It's those that are progressing in life and those that are waiting. You have unfulfilled desires. No one put it better than C.S. Lewis when he said this. Most people, if they really learn to look at their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which rise from first falling in love or you first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites you are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. He qualifies it. I am not now speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages, holidays, or learning careers. I'm speaking of the, very pos- the best possible ones. There was something we grasped at in the first moment of longing which just fades away in the reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife. The hotels and the scenery may be an excellent. The job may be in a very interesting job, but something has evaded us. Do you see his point? You can live like Simeon and Anna with all this hardship, or you can live like Jim Carrey with all this progression, and there's still unfulfilled desires. And every single one in this room and every single person in our universe has to learn to live this whole life with unfulfilled desires. There's not a single person on planet Earth that's immune to it. So friends, my question this Christmas is, will you avoid the rush and the intensity and the noise and the glamour and the panic? And will you be like Simeon and Anna? I need to be in the presence of God for a moment. Because if, I'm, if I know him and I, I'm found in him and I know his love then whether I'm like Simeon and Anna or like Jim Carrey, I can have a joy and a contentment as I wait with unfulfilled desires, which may never, ever be met. If you're here today and you're not sure you believe in God or what to think of God, I'm just delighted you've come. Why don't you stop this Christmas and go, God, are you out there? Could you really be the one to satisfy me, to complete me, to save me? Just look at Simeon and Anna. Let us break the chains of this instant gratification and consumerism and this treadmill that we're on by coming to the comforter, the redeemer, the baby that was born at Christmas. So they were waiting with unfulfilled desires, but notice they have a compass in the chaos, they have hope in the suffering, they have balance in the ups and downs, they have contentment in the hardship, they've grown old gracefully. May we all grow old gracefully because we spend time working more on our relationship with God than anything else. Let me move to my second point. Waiting, yet ready to die. It's interesting, isn't it? Christmas is all about the birth. It's all about new life. It's all about a baby. And yet Luke talks about two old people who are ready to die. 
and uh, you know, this, dismiss your servant in peace, and she's 84 years old. I think these two old sages have a lot to teach us. Our culture doesn't like to talk about death. We've sanitized death. Death has become an inconvenience. We kind of think we can just ignore it, and when we're young, it just, you know, and Pat was saying, you know, his fiance was 300 meters away from the terrorist attack, and you know, knew a friend of a friend that died in it. You know, we just don't know. My dad just, uh, praise God, successfully went through some cancer treatment. He's 73 years old, and he spoke to a lot of, obviously, the leading doctors in that area. And, uh, and one of the doctors, a Hindu lady, was telling him that the people that find it hard to deal, the hardest to deal with cancer are the rich. Now, money sometimes can get you a certain way on the cancer treatment that other people don't get, but it may not, and in the end, it won't ever save you money from death. You know, when you're rich, you assume you can just pay your way out. But no one can pay their way out of death. Who's going to have enough money? No, it's not about amount. Death is an unavoidable intruder. You may go, wow, this is rather morbid, bringing up the topic of death at Christmas. Let me gently disagree with you. If you haven't worked out how to face your death, I don't believe you've worked out how to live this life. Of course you haven't. No one put it better than Tolstoy, the Russian novelist. He said this, Today or tomorrow, sickness and death will come to those I love or to me. Nothing will remain but stench and worms. Sooner or later, my affairs, whatever they may be, will be forgotten, and I shall not exist. Then why go on making any effort? How can man fail to see this? And how can we go on living? What is more surprising, one can only live while one is intoxicated with life. As soon as one is sober, it is impossible not to see that it is all mere fraud and stupid fraud. That is precisely what it is. There is nothing amusing or witty. It is simply cruel and stupid. Tolstoy is saying you have to kind of be drunk to not face up to death as a reality and how that makes our life seemingly meaningless. Look at Simeon and Anna. They're not morbid. There's no fear. There's no pessimism and denial. Quite the opposite. There's joy. There's confidence. There's hope. There's humble acceptance. Why? Because they knew the sovereign Lord. That's what Simeon says. The one who gives life and the one who takes away. At the end, Simeon talks about a a sword piercing Mary's soul in verse 35. You know, this is the beginning of the Jesus story. the, The birth. But one day a sword is going to pierce Mary because a sword is going to pierce Jesus. And so what they're talking about is that, uh, what Simeon's talking about is he's saying, one day Jesus is going to die, that's how he's going to redeem, that's how he's going to buy back, and then he's going to rise, and he's going to secure, he's going to secure eternal life for all that would know him. He's going to comfort us. So now death doesn't have to be the end. Death is like going home. You know, death is where your unfulfilled desires, if you know Jesus, are fulfilled. 64 years a widow, when she dies, she's married to Jesus. Death is when, if you know Jesus, your unfulfilled desires are fully met. Let me quote Lewis. He put it better than anyone. Creatures, uh, the Christians say, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger? Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim? Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire? Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That's our first point. We live with unfulfilled desires. Why? Because this world was never supposed to satisfy us. That's why they spent time in the temple, connecting with the one who lives in heaven. 
But he says, well, then how do we learn to live with all these unfulfilled desires? And do we just despise the good things of this life? How do we get ready to die? Lewis says this, next sentence. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other hand never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of a copy, an echo, or a mirage. Listen, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and help others to do the same. That's Simeon and Anna. They knew, where their, they knew where their home was. They knew death wasn't one at the end. They knew all their desires would one day be fulfilled. And they were helping as many others face death and therefore live well. God at Christmas says, let me come and comfort you. The death isn't the end, death's the beginning where all your desires will be fulfilled. Do you know it? Have you learned how to face death so you know how to live this life well? Are you living in denial that all these desires you have could be fulfilled in this life? They can't. Let humanity, let Simeon and Anna, let your own heart, let Isaac's story tell you. Third point then, just to finish briefly. Waiting with unfulfilled desires, waiting yet ready to die, waiting with a discerning heart. These two old people had waited a long time for sure, but they'd waited with a discerning heart. They'd never lost hope. They were looking, God, what are you doing as I have to wait? Why do I have to wait? Why aren't you coming back to console Israel? Why aren't you coming back to redeem? What are you doing? And notice that Simeon says that the coming of Jesus in verse 34 is going to bring a division in Israel. Some are going to reject him and some are going to accept him. And he says at the end there in verse 35 that Jesus will reveal the thoughts of many hearts. In other words, Jesus has come as to expose our hearts as we respond to him. So Luke wants us to respond and wants us to discern our hearts too. As you think about the coming of Jesus at Christmas, what does it tell you about your own heart? Where do you stand with him? Or let me ask you this. How have you found me speaking about death for the last 10 minutes? What has that revealed in your heart? How, how have you found it that I've been speaking that this life could never really fulfill all your desires? Have you, is it panic? Is it, are you running away? You go, no, would you shut up? Why? Why? What is revealed in your heart by the coming of Jesus? What are you afraid of? Would we learn this Christmas to discern what is going on in my heart? What desires do I have that may never be fulfilled? And could I learn to wait graciously for God to answer in his time, even if it's 84 years as a widow, or 64 years as a widow? Two final thoughts. If you're a guest today, you're not used to coming to church. As I said, thanks for coming. I hope you're really understanding what we understand and what the scriptures teach about who Jesus is. I urge you, this Christmas, spend some time discerning your own heart. What do I think of Jesus? What do I think of these unfulfilled desires? How good am I at waiting? Do I expect everything to happen now? And pray that God would fill you and satisfy you and complete you. Jesus says, I've come, well, Simeon says, he's come to be the comforter. Anna said, he's come to be the redeemer. Let him comfort you. Let him redeem you. You have to let him in, though. If you're part of Christ City Church or you're, you're a believer here, May Simeon and Anna inspire us to live counterculturally in a where the society around us is saying, 
progress at all costs. Do whatever it takes, no waiting. Make sure you get ahead. And maybe we go, no, I don't need to. I'm in the presence of God. I'm satisfied inside. Lord, I love these things in my life, but I'm going to accept whatever your hand brings me. I'm not going to fight against what you're doing. And you see, Simeon and Anna had found their vocation to serve God for as many days as God had given them on earth. Let, let that be our prayer as a church. Lord, whatever you give me, I, I have all these desires. I'd love for some of them to come true. If they don't, may I serve you in whatever capacity for as many days as you've given me on earth. And may I grow old gracefully, content and available to you, willing to serve in whatever way you see fit, waiting for my home in heaven when all the desires of my heart will be satisfied and ten times more. So we're going, to stop, we're going to finish here with two more carols, our holy night, which talks about falling on your knees, this act of being, I'm, I'm open to you, Lord, and heart the herald angels, which talks about Jesus risen with healing in his wings and born that man may, no more may die. So will you stand? I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll hand over to the band to, to lead us in our final carols. Let's take a moment to discern our hearts, maybe some desires, maybe some sense of that rushing of that inability to disconnect that constant striving that uh, the noise the jealousy of comparing with others take a moment just to discern your own heart heavenly father we thank you for simeon and anna these two amazing old people who had served you all their days and when they saw jesus they said, here is our saviour, here's our redeemer, here's our comforter. And I pray, Lord, we'd learn what it is to wait content in you when we have many unfulfilled desires. May Anna be an example to us. May we say with the Apostle Paul, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances, through Christ who strengthens me. We pray, Lord, we'd be waiting yet ready to face death, that death wouldn't fear us because we know you the Lord of history, the one who not only came into our world, but died and rose. And a relationship with you means we live forever and ever without fear. And we can die without regrets. I pray, Lord, we'd, we'd know that. We'd discern our hearts well. And I pray, Lord, in a culture that wants to just bombard us with messages and keep us moving and progressing and striving, that we'd take time this Christmas to slow down and uh, to be with you and to review where, where we are at and us with ourselves and with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.